It is time for our midday program here on KRVN. Laissez-les, bon temps Time for, Let the good times roll here on Fat Tuesday on KRVN. Just as Tyler Cavalli walks into the studio. Weird how that worked out. Just in the nick of time, Man, huh? Look at that. Look at that. Bob Rogan's in here also, along with Susan Littlefield and kind of a weird sort of fat Tuesday day. I think we'll give up snow maybe for Lent starting tomorrow. That would probably be as good of an idea as anybody. Susan Littlefield, hello. Well, good morning. How are, how are you? It is Fat Tuesday. It is? I'm good. Is it? Oh, well, did I lose you? No, we did for a moment. There, It's like you're you're speaking to us from <laughs> Fallujah or something right now. <laughs> but, but we got well, you. Well, you know... San Antonio, Texas, Fallujah, pretty much one and the same, right? Well, there's there's Yikes. more r- river walk. That's that's harsh on San Antonio, <laughs> but uh, man, I know. All right, we better get. Our, <laughs> let's dig ourselves out. What do you got today? Exactly. I didn't mean to compare the two to Fallujah. My apologies. Hey, twelve nineteen. We're going to kick it all off. Melissa Kessler joins us. She's with U.S. Grains Council. We talk about the trade schools that they've had going on throughout the whole Upper Midwest. A neat opportunity for folks to learn more about the trade industry. Then at twelve forty-five, I continue the conversation with National Corn Growers Association President Kevin Ross as he talks about the workings U.S. Grains Council and NCGA have been doing. When it comes to the importance of trade, and of course this is on the the beginnings of Commodity Classic here in San Antonio, we'll talk more with Kevin as the week goes on. Then at 117, Bryce comes in and talks not only with Governor Ricketts, but state FFA leaders. This, of course, is National FFA Week, so we get their spin on what it all means to Nebraska and beyond. All right. Okay, very good. Thank you very much, Susan. Enjoy your time. I will. Thank you. We turn it over now to Tyler Cavalli. I won't ask you where you got all your beads from, and that's a personal thing that uh, you know you got to do what you got to do. So I'll teach you later. Oh. I'll show you later. <laughs> what do you got for us today? What's going on? Well, the Husker men's basketball team tough loss on the road again to Illinois. But let's be honest, this is a season that we kind of figured it's going to be a struggling year. Right? Maybe not. Maybe to this point, but when you have brand new guys up and down the roster new head coach it's going to be you know it's going to be a turbulent ride and that's what we've seen so far so a tough a tough place to play at illinois they, mm-hmm. they're playing a little bit better this yeah. season so tough loss there high school basketball continues tonight here on krvn we will have uh lexington as they will play in the b7 subdistrict final they will play against hastings of course you will have subdistrict basketball as well Cozad and gothenburg mm-hmm. will be in action right. uh, those games will be over on cami uh, and speaking training baseball continues as well so there's a, a lot happening and i'm excited for baseball season at least feel better about the uh, snowy atmosphere out uh, right, that's the nice thing about it. That's for sure. We turn it over to Bob Brogan. Nothing to feel real great about in stocks right now. No, unless you like losing. True. US stocks True. are slipping and trading on Wall Street a day after the market's biggest drop in more than two years. But what goes down has to come back up. At least we think it mm-hmm. should. That's good. Meanwhile, stuff. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo hitting out at China and Iran for their response to the outbreak of the coronavirus. Those stories and more coming up. That's all coming up on Middle. It is time for us to take a look at our weather here on a fat Tuesday. And there was a little bit of snow that showed up in our forecast 
and uh, showed up in real too. Paul Perkins in here with us and uh, Mother Nature gorging yeah. on snow. Apparently, she it passed. Is, huh? Yeah, <laughs> apparently they were, Now, if if she wants to go ahead and uh, cut out all of that snow Once for the next hits, several that's fine days, with me, yeah. fine with me. Yeah, that's absolutely right. But yeah, it was a. It, it, a fair amount of snow in some areas. Yes, uh, earlier we had a pretty sharp cutoff on what where we were seeing snow from about Highway 183 in central Nebraska, which okay. kind of goes through about the uh, Elm Creek area yeah. on into the Phillipsburg area and points off towards the west is where we saw a lot of snow. But to the east of that this morning, nothing had really fallen. But now we are, of course, seeing more widespread snow across south central Nebraska and much of northern Kansas. We did have a swath of snow, about 5 to 10 inches of snow, from right around western Dawson County down through Gosper, Furnace County, then into north central Kansas, basically towards about Phillipsburg, just lying a, a thin quarter there of about 5 to 10 inches of snow yeah. fell with this system as much as 10 inches of snow being reported in the Elwood area with this system. And, uh, unbelievable amounts of snow because a thin band of snow just set up and just didn't move didn't in move. that area. It's- just to the east and west of that was about 1 to 3 inches of snow, but otherwise... Right in that area, about five to ten inches of snow, and a pretty wet snow, as you would expect this time of year. Exactly. Right? Yeah, this system a little bit different than what we saw last Friday, Wednesday afternoon when that system moved through. That was a lot colder, temperatures into the teens and twenties, so that snow a lot fluffier and accumulated a lot more. This a little more of a wet snow with those temperatures right around the freezing mark, thirty to thirty-two degrees across the area. So we're not going to see as much accumulation, and probably not as much in the way of some travel problems with this system either. Good news. Good news. But we do have uh, that snow continuing to fall right now, basically along and west of Highway 281, Grand Island to Hastings, on over to Lexington, and the Cambridge area in south central Nebraska. Then some scattered areas of snow over northwest Kansas, and a lot of the snow now over Kansas is to the south of I-70, anywhere from Goodland all the way to about Emporia, Kansas, and points to the south. That snow continuing to move to the southeast. Temperatures right now mostly in the upper 20s to low 30s. Snow does remain likely today across the central and west parts of Nebraska and Kansas. Lesser chances as you go to the east, all thanks to an area of low pressure and a cold front dropping into southern areas of Kansas. On the backside, northerly winds gusting in between 30 and 45, lowering the visibilities where we do have some of that snow falling. Then, of course, that cold northerly flow keeping our temperatures mostly on the steady level. Tonight, as the winds diminish and skies partially clear, temperatures will easily drop, especially across the snow-covered areas. With the northwesterly flow from high pressure building in from the west for tomorrow, temperatures look to be about 10 degrees cooler than normal, but sunshine will be returning for tomorrow. A little closer to seasonal on temperatures for Thursday. Riding through the weekend, looks like we've got another warming trend with some dry weather on the way. Above normal temperatures, especially for Friday into the weekend. A chance of precipitation returns by Sunday night into Monday. Right now, it looks like with this next system, the temperatures will be warm enough for some periods of rain and minimal snow with that Sunday night into Monday. Also, some uh, big uncertainties as to where exactly that system will be moving. In the long-term forecast, warmer than normal temperatures remain likely the first nine days of next month for Nebraska, Kansas, and nearly all of the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. So it looks like March starting off on a good note. Above normal precipitation, though, does remain likely in Nebraska, Kansas, and nearly all of the U.S. the first nine days of next month. Market impacting weather factors include additional Midwest rain and snow and a favorable end to the winter for the Black Sea region. Nationally, a storm crossing the Ohio Valley will intensify over the lower Great Lakes and the northeast U.S. through Thursday. 
Accumulating snow expected from the mid-Mississippi Valley into northern New England. Rainfall could reach 1 to 2 inches or more across the northeast U.S. and lower southeast. In the storm's wake, several days of below normal temperatures will across the will occur across the central and eastern U.S. During the weekend, though, temperatures quickly rebounding to above normal across the plains and Mississippi Valley. The expected Midwest moisture will continue the long-term trend for saturated soils. Adding to that will be another system that could bring some heavy rain and some snow early next week in the Midwest. In the Black Sea region, Russia and Ukraine's conditions for winter wheat are favorable with no winter kill. Light to moderate rain is forecast over the next week and will benefit the soil moisture for winter wheat. Once again, we do have that winter weather advisory in much of west and central Nebraska into much of northwest and north central Kansas. If you're along and west of a line in Nebraska from Bassett to Broken Bow, Kearney, and Franklin, you're in that winter weather advisory. That's where about an in- another inch to three inches of snow is possible. And then in Kansas, that boundary along and west of a line from Smith Center to about Salina and actually closer to winter storm conditions towards Salina right now. Hmm. Okay, well, but hey, let's hear it for the weekend. Once again, yes. coming through for it us. It will be a good one. Mid to upper 50s right now across much of the area. And usually that kind of translates into maybe even better, as we saw this last weekend. All right. Well, here's the thing. This weekend I heard, I saw the robins and, uh-huh. and lots of snow geese coming down. Uh, so all kinds of signs. Exactly, and, and and above normal temperatures expected right now in that long-term forecast for the first nine days of next month at least. So I'm just ignoring the snow that we have. <laughs> it'll, be, uh, it'll be a long-forgotten memory by Friday. I like that a lot. All right, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com. We're learning more about trade schools that are being held throughout the United States this winter to educate producers more on what's happening globally. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I caught up with Melissa Kessler, who is Director of Strategic Relations with the U.S. Grains Council, as we talked about farmers going back to school. So the Grains Council is hosting, along with the National Corn Growers Association and 11 of our state checkoff organizations, uh, a series of trade schools this winter, uh, really to help educate farmers about the importance of trade, help them get some background that's kind of hard to get on the history and structure of our global trading system, um, understand what's happening in trade right now and how that relates to that history, and also gain some confidence in how they can talk about trade, develop messages, and really reach out and share the information that they're gaining uh, with members of their community, members of their family even. So I was curious, I asked Melissa what she likes about being involved in these schools and bringing more knowledge to the grower. So what I really like about doing trade schools is number one, they end up being quite a lot of fun. Um, Everyone is different based on the audience and how many people are in the group and the speakers. Um, But you really see people have their eyes opened about trade issues and start to connect some dots um, and to understand trade in a new way. Um, And so it's fun to see people have that kind of level of knowledge and excitement and want to learn more. And I asked what her favorite aha moment has been. Oh, that's a good one. 
These are good questions, Susan. Um, I, you know, working at the Greens Council has been an interesting experience because we're talking about something that's so diverse and so complex that no one can really understand all of it. And so when we're talking about educating, you know, people who have other full-time jobs, who this is part of their business, but it's not all of their business, um, it's important to me to understand how to break information down into really digestible bites. Um, and what I have learned doing the trade schools is that um, people want to know that picture. They want to see kind of the, the big scope of how trade impacts their markets. Um, and when they really do kind of get a, a piece of the story, they can turn around and tell other people and have a lot of passion about it. And these trade schools give them an opportunity to look beyond the borders of their own operation. You know, farmers are obviously in business to be in business. I think that's a really important thing to communicate, but it also, you know, farmers are in business out of passion for the industry and passion for their work. And that extends to what happens with their crop after they've delivered it to the first point of sale. Um, we found, you know, farmers really do want to know their customers and customers really want to know farmers. Um, and that goes in the U.S. for consumers as well. And so trade schools are an opportunity to talk more about who are those customers what are their needs? Um, and once a farmer kind of has conceptualized that and become part of what they follow as part of their business, it doesn't really go away. And we've seen over the last several years, as we've talked about China and USMCA, we've had guys who you know lobbied for NAFTA originally, or Colombia, Peru, Panama, come out of the woodwork and say, hey, what, what can we do to help? What's really going on? We want to understand this situation. We want to be advocates for our industry. And we're really trying to plant those seeds for now, but also for far into the future with farmers today at trade schools. So, you know, we are really just very, very pleased to have the opportunity to sponsor a series of trade schools with NCGA and with our members. Um, and we also really encourage people to continue the learning after after the events. Um, we have a lot of information on our website. Um, obviously, all of our partners do as well. And we also are really active on social media, um, trying to continually update people on the latest trade issues. That's my conversation with Melissa Kessler. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at sports on this Fat Tuesday. And Tyler Cavalli in here to get us all uh, smarted up on sports. That's right. Well, we'll start with the Nebraska basketball team. The men rallied from a double-digit deficit to force a tie game early in the second half. However, Illinois would respond with an 11-1 run to regain control and defeat the Huskers 71-59 last night at the State Farm Center. Nebraska played without sophomore point guard Cam Mack remained in Lincoln because of an illness. Without him, the Huskers counted on Hanif Cheatham, who scored 14 points to pace four Husker players in double-figure scoring. Deshaun Burke Jr. finished with 13 points. Thorier Thorbjarnison scored 11. And freshman center Ivan Oidrago had 11 points to go with 10 points for his fifth double-double this season. I got those right. You know, I think close enough, really right? Good. Those are those right. are special. Yeah. No one's going to complain. Good no, enough. No, close no. enough. Nebraska men's basketball will return home this Thursday night to face Ohio State at Pinnacle Bank arena the game was set for eight o'clock we'll have that for you right here on krvm well postseason high school basketball continues tonight for some after a 76 to 51 victory last night lexington will battle hastings in hastings for the b7 sub-district final pregame will be at 6 50 p.m and you can hear that game right here on 880 krvm meanwhile 
C-111 Boys Sub-District starts tonight. Now, Cozad will play Chase County pregame at 4.50 p.m. And Gothenburg will take on Hershey pregame at 6.45 p.m. You will have those games, mm-hmm. and those will be over on Cami Country Legend or Cami Country. Those should be a good couple of games as well. I think it's anybody's sub-district. Whoever gets hot wins it. Mm. So that'll be interesting. Again, you can hear that over on Cami Country. Now, as I mentioned, some will play tonight. Because of the weather, many games are being postponed as sub-district games hosted in Cambridge, which is Southern Valley versus Overton and Elm Creek versus Bertrand. They will be postponed until tomorrow. And the C-210 hosted by Holdridge, which includes Amherst versus Am- Highline and Alma versus Cambridge, they also have been postponed until Wednesday, which means they're going to have to play back-to-back days for the sub-district finale coming up on Thursday, which could make things a little interesting. Yeah, it could make some decisions tough, too. It's Ash Wednesday, too. So, oh, yeah. good point. Mm-hmm. Very good point on there as well. Staying with hoops, second-ranked Baylor will meet Kansas State and college men's basketball tonight, and fourth-ranked Dayton will visit George Mason in tonight's college basketball action. Meanwhile, number 5 San Diego State meets Colorado State. Seventh-ranked Duke is at Wake Forest, and eighth-ranked Kentucky will play at Texas A&M. Finally, big news here. This could potentially be big news as the Tokyo Olympics could be canceled. A senior member of the International Olympic Committee said today that if it proves too dangerous to hold the Olympics in Tokyo this summer because of the coronavirus outbreak, organizers are more likely to cancel it altogether than to postpone or move it. A senior member estimated there is a three-month window, perhaps a two-month one as well, to decide the fate of the Tokyo Olympics, meaning a decision could be put off until late May. Now, the modern Olympics, which dates to 1896, have been canceled only during wartime. Well, you think about that, though. That's the nightmare scenario for a pandemic, if if you get a bunch of people from all these different countries no together doubt. in one place. So. I can see them being concerned. Hopefully this thing clears up. It gets a little bit better by May, but it sounds like that's kind of the deadline is May. And if it's uh, getting only worse, then maybe no Olympics. We'll have to wait for the Winter Olympics in a couple of years. Interesting. All right. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you. Some Nebraska lawmakers are expressing shock and outrage that gun owners were allowed to bring loaded semi-automatic rifles into the state capitol to protest bills that would have imposed new restrictions on gun ownership. Some lawmakers say they viewed the demonstration as an intimidation tactic during a contentious legislative hearing Friday afternoon that drew an estimated 400 protesters. Governor Pete Ricketts isn't concerned. Well, I support our Second Amendment rights, and I support our folks who are going to, you know, take advantage of that with the open carry. I mean, that's what we have here in the state of Nebraska, and this is the people's house. Ricketts was asked whether it was appropriate, given that the open display of guns made some people nervous. Well, I think what you saw was we obviously had some hearings, and people were trying to make a point. But if you come to the Capitol on a regular day, people don't abuse that privilege. You don't see people just walking around the Capitol on a daily basis with, uh, you know, rifles out or anything like that. And so I think that really what you saw on Friday was people trying to make a point how important our Second Amendment rights are, and I agree with those people, but people don't abuse that here in the Capitol. A few of those protesters displayed their guns in the hallways and in a public hearing room, even though the Nebraska Capitol bars people from wielding political signs or props in the building and doesn't allow concealed firearms. The University of Nebraska at Omaha has been chosen to lead a team of universities and other partners in studying counterterrorism and terrorism prevention. 
The U.S. Department of Homeland Security Science and Technology Directorate announced that the university has won a $36 million 10-year grant. The University of Nebraska at Omaha will spearhead a consortium of academic, industry, government, and laboratory partners in finding ways to prevent or counteract threats to the nation's people, as well as the infrastructure and economy. A directorate spokesperson says this will be the directorate's 10th such research center of excellence. He couldn't immediately say what made the Omaha school stand out for the selection. Kansas legislators aren't ready to declare that marijuana possession never should be a felony. A House committee rejected proposals Monday to lower penalties for third-time offenders and to release others from prison. The Corrections and Juvenile Justice Committee voted 7-4 to four against a bill to make possessing marijuana a misdemeanor, no matter how many times someone was convicted. Current Kansas law says a third conviction is a felony punishable by up to 14 months in prison, though offenders often receive probation. The bill also initially said offenders now in prison for marijuana possession would be released, but the committee removed that provision. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Focusing on the future while learning from those who've been there in the past. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Last week, the Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic took place, and during the event, they had the AYC. That's yes, aspiring young cattlemen. One of those cattle producers is from Gothenburg. Heath Kaiser sat down to talk to me about the heifer that he raised and brought back to the show and sale. So through this process, uh, it was actually it was a paper application and then a written interview. And during the interview, they asked me what heifer or what breed I would like to be associated with or joined with. And I said, oh, maybe a Hereford would be kind of fun. And so there I got paired with S&S Pulled Herefords out of Guide Rock with Ron Schutte. And with this heifer, she was uh, very cowy, uh, one that Ron had picked out of his cow herd. She was very green when we got her here. And then through the project, we raised her. And then she was AI'd to a Churchill Kickstart bull. And then she was down, we sent her down to Ron's house. We don't have any purebred Herefords at our house. And then got her home and showed her at County Fair in uh, Lexington and the Nebraska State Fair in Exarbon. And then now we brought her, uh, brought her back home and she was out on pasture for a while. And then we got her ready and uh, brought her down here to the Cattleman's Classic this year to sell as a bred heifer. Hi, this is Chad Moyer. Join Steve Nelson and me for a daily cup of joe with the Nebraska Farm Bureau. We'll talk about what's happening in agriculture, and you might even learn a new tidbit of trivia you didn't know before. It's every weekday in the noon hour right here on 880 KRVN. How the workings of two organizations help out corn producers all across the nation. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. We are on the beginnings of Commodity Classic, which takes place later this week here in San Antonio, Texas. But I caught up with the National Corn Growers Association President, Kevin Ross from Iowa, at the U.S. Grains Council meeting that took place just a week and a half ago and asked him about the workings of both U.S. grains and national corn. Uh, you know, Grains Council and National Corn, as well as all our state organizations, have uh, you know been closely tied together for a, a very long time. Uh, state organizations have, have been individual funders for uh, many, many, many years, and, and huge supporters from uh, not just that, but the human capital side. Um, you know, getting farmers involved in this organization as well as ours, and uh, I think from you know from 
the those pieces uh, alone, um, you know, lend itself well to, to us partnering on on trade discussions overall. And you know, Grains Council cannot lobby. And so for us, uh, when it comes to trade policy and things like that, from uh, our own uh, federal government aspect, we have to be the ones that uh, carry that message to the legislators and and uh, talk about uh, you know talk about the broader issues when it comes to to um, trade agreements. Uh, they can educate. They can certainly uh, talk about uh, uh, how it impacts. Uh, world trade and, and uh, what's going on in the world but for us you know to actually uh, drive the the momentum behind getting new agreements done and, and uh, uh, lobbying on the corn grower behalf that's that's how we partner very closely with them so um, two key organizations in, in moving corn uh, corn demand worldwide really a win-win situation because they've got boots on the ground in so many countries that it kind of maybe helps you guys out as you work through some negotiations and, and be there for those it absolutely does uh, you know we have to have them and, and there are many offices worldwide to, to understand these markets and to uh, you know take on the challenges that uh, in those other countries and figure out the nuances of each government uh, they're, they're different you know and, and uh, um, the demands of, of each country are different whether it comes you know with with different livestock needs or biofuels needs um, but you know the, the tariff structures are different the uh, uh, trade agreements the biotech side of things is all different so we have to have people that are uh, out there and, and taking the time to, to uh, learn about these markets and figure out how uh, you know what the issues are in each of them for us to you know to move US corn into those uh, those spaces worldwide we've had this conversation before but I, I want to get your spin again on what USMCA Japan and phase one means to a corn grower and Iowa, Nebraska, anywhere in the Midwest. Yeah, I really think uh, you know all three are extremely important markets. Uh, whether it's Japan, China, or uh, I should say, say four when it comes to Mexico and, and Canada, um, but but all four you know key in their own own ways. Um, certainly, Mexico being the number one export market for for U.S. corn, but such a huge meat market, uh, you know, for meat uh, meat import market as well for uh, our products, whether it's beef, pork, um, and poultry. Uh, all those things are you know indirectly for for corn, and we see a huge potential in the ethanol market in in Mexico as well. Uh, some some things we're still working through there to uh, you know to drive that that demand, but um, you know big things going on in Mexico and and certainly in Canada. Um, you know, similarly, a lot of meats move across the border, and, and uh, uh, as well, um, you know, dairy issues there that they kind of got sorted out somewhat in USMCA. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's definitely definitely uh, better than it was. Um, as well, uh, you know, it's a big ethanol market in Canada for us. So, um, it, just two countries that are vitally important to us in general from uh, from the long term standpoint. And us re-signing that agreement, I think, uh, just you know, gives you that reset moment where. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about stability beforehand, and, and how these markets are, are key for us from a, uh, just that just that stable market standpoint. And what we what we need to have is that block. But I think you re-sign that agreement, and really you've just you've now reset that. And the last one lasted 25 years, and who knows how long this one's going to last? But it should add, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of uh, of a very close tie um, in those markets and just key places for us. You talk about Japan a little bit, and uh, you know, number two market export for for raw U.S. corn. Uh, good potential ethanol market and certainly uh, distiller screens. Time for our midday business report. 12.55 here on a Tuesday. Scott in here with you. Bob Brogan to come in just a moment. Stocks down a little. Well, no, check that. Stocks down a lot again. Uh, we will get to that. Let's take a look at the world markets. The Japanese Nikkei facing the same problems. The U.S. markets, they are down about 
three and a quarter percent, down 781. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong, however, was up 91. London's FTSE was down 138, and Germany's DAX index was down 244. The 10-year yield is down four point or four percentage points. The stocks in the United States at Dow Jones Industrial Average, after taking the big hit yesterday, uh, continue to the hits keep on coming as they are now below almost towards the 27,000 threshold at 27.3. Down 600 points. NASDAQ down 167 and the Standard & Poor down 65. Bob Brogan for more. Well, after that sharp sell-off on Monday, things have kind of continued to uh, uh, slide downward. Uh, and the slide yesterday, the sell-off yesterday, erased all of the Dow Jones Industrial Average's gains for the year. Energy companies fell as crude oil prices moved lower. And the nervousness uh, continues. Uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is uh, hitting out at China and Iran for their response to the outbreak. He's accusing the two governments of censorship and trying to cover up the severity of the spread of the illness that has now infected more than 80,000 people and killed more than 2,500, mostly in China. Meanwhile, drug maker Moderna has shipped its first batch of a possible coronavirus vaccine for humans to government researchers for testing. Shares of the biotech company are soaring today a day after the company said it sent vials to an arm of the National Institutes of Health for early stage testing in the United States. We'll stay tuned on whether uh, that's going to be of some hope. And uh, so that's taking place. Also, the generic drug maker Mallinckrodt has announced a $1.6 billion deal to settle lawsuits it faces over its role in a national opioid crisis. The company announced the deal today, saying it has agreement with most states and lawyers representing local governments suing it. So that's where the way things are shaping up, uh, a down market again today. All right. Thank you so much, Bob. Every 40 seconds, someone in the U.S. has a stroke. Each year, more than 140,000 people die, and many survivors face disability. 80% of strokes are preventable. High blood pressure is the most important treatable risk factor for stroke. Preventing, diagnosing, and controlling blood pressure through lifestyle changes and medicine is critical to reduce death and disability. Other risk factors that can be controlled include high cholesterol, obesity, diabetes, and smoking. Recognize the signs of stroke with FAST and get help immediately. FAST stands for face. Ask the person to smile. Does one side droop? Arms. Ask the person to raise both arms. Does one drift downward? Speech. Ask the person to repeat a simple sentence. Are the words slurred? And time. If the person shows any of these symptoms, call 911 right away. To learn more, visit cdc.gov slash vital signs. Rickets proclaims FFA Week on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskin reporting. Yesterday, Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts hosted FFA members for a proclamation signing ceremony declaring it FFA Week in Nebraska. Ricketts says the FFA is important to growing the state. FFA Week is important because agriculture is Nebraska's biggest industry. It is our industry that accounts for over 20% of our state GDP, about one in four jobs, in a wide variety of fields where that, that actually makes an impact. And the way we focus on growing Nebraska is by growing agriculture. 
we got to grow agriculture here in our state. And over the last couple of years, we've had a lot of examples of how that's working. One of those examples being the Lincoln Premium Poultry Project in northeast Nebraska. The facility near Fremont is officially open. And they now are employing 813 people in that facility. And not only are they employing 813 people in that facility processing poultry in Fremont, they're working with about 100 Nebraska farm families to raise those birds. And that gives the opportunity for those farm families to develop equity in their operation, diversify their revenue stream, and importantly, bring young people like you back into the operation. And we think that that facility will have an over a billion dollar impact on our state's economy. That is a huge deal. Our, you know, our, our overall state's economy is yeah, $114, $120 billion. So you can see it's a big impact on our state. Ricketts touted USDA data has opportunity for young people in agriculture. If you look at what the USDA says, there'll be roughly 60,000 job openings for jobs in agriculture or related natural resources, whether you're talking about direct production agriculture or somebody who may be a, a scientist working in a lab or something like that. There are going to be 60,000 jobs, and yet probably we're only going to graduate about 35,000 graduates in those fields to be able to take those jobs. So there's going to be huge demand and lots of opportunity. And this is where FFA comes in, right? Because you all are getting exposed to those opportunities to be able to get involved in agriculture. The Nebraska FFA Association and National Association are both growing. In fact, Nebraska was the sixth chartered by the National FFA Organization. Nebraska has a current membership of nearly 10,000 members across 193 chapters. So it's a, it's a great program to be involved with FFA. It's growing here in our state. It's incredibly important because agriculture is what we do here in Nebraska. We, if we're going to grow Nebraska, we have to grow agriculture. Luke Crable is a graduate from Adams Central High School, but now calls the University of Nebraska-Lincoln his home as he studies there and serves as a Nebraska FFA state vice president. He says the future of agriculture is bright because of the FFA. Through countless opportunities, we are developing the next generation of agricultural leaders. The support our members receive is unmatched in any other organization uh, in our state. We are pushing them to explore their passions, start businesses, and look at future careers in the agriculture industry. They are looking to the future, bringing forward new ideas and change that will help them as the industry changes. To me, this is why FFA is so special. The experience each one of our members will receive is completely dependent upon them. They get to choose what they want to do and follow their passions in order to grow and improve in those areas. Agriculture is an expansive field, and it is a very important part of Nebraska, and it will continue to be an important part of Nebraska. And I'm confident through FFA and the people that I have met this year, we all have a very bright future with the leaders in our state who are looking to fill those careers. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Shaylee Peters back with you on the Rural Radio Network as we close out the day here. We take a look at these closing grain futures with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And really, as you mentioned, John, kind of a quiet day as far as our grain trade is concerned. Yeah. It's like, what's going on? What do you want to talk about? We had an unchanged day in corn and wheat actually up four and beans up five. There wouldn't be a chaos going on in the world until you turn the page and look at livestock or energy.
energies or equities would be the real one. I think people uh, are going to start to log on to their 401k's account here and see that uh, what we've been dealing with on the ag row crop side for the last really four years, where you have these 3%, 4% down moves, is starting to bleed into the global economy, and stocks and equities are being hit today. Crude below $50, so it's completely risk-off. Uh, if you're going to be borrowing any money in the near term, this is a good time to go lock that in, as I think we're up... Uh, you know, near-term record lows for the 10-year Treasury at 1.32, and uh, the 30-year now below 3% or 2%. So, you know, this is going to encourage a lot of levered-up levered up borrowing. I, I think in the near term, you just have a huge rally in the stock market that's taken place since the end of August um, really wash itself out now. So the question will be, what does the Federal Reserve do in the next couple of weeks? So uh, we have a meeting, and if they're going to ease, I think that's, uh, you know, going to create even more chaos in the markets. But in the meantime here, I'm... I'm a little skeptical to be buying strength on the on the on the eggs. I, I just think with with all that's going on, uh, you, you know, stay above the fray and, and either stay in cash or stay in stay in contracts you can afford. It just is very dangerous time. And uh, we did, as we see the market settle here, um, corn was up just above unchanged, soybeans end of the day higher, wheat though mostly higher, and they started off just struggling a little bit um, this morning. So talk about that. Well, wheat, wheat was, I mean, for most of the morning, wheat was down. And then I'd say around, like, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, that was right on the close of the livestock. We saw just huge volume selling on the feeder side. Feeders uh, went down to 130, 177. At the same time, soybeans and KC wheat lifted. And I'm, I'm thinking we're just seeing some spread liquidation here where folks have been short feed grains along the livestock side and maybe then, uh, you know, that that's kind of the opposite factor as, as folks are clearing those positions out. That's all I can really factor here. There isn't anything bullish that we saw on the export side and, you know, other than, uh, you know, the fact that there's more animals around that need to eat. There really isn't any data out there that should support it. But near term, it's good money flowing and on a green day when things are bad, it certainly gives, uh, points to some good news going forward. All right, that again, John Payne with Daniels Ag Marketing. You can learn more about them at danielsagmarketing.com. Do remember, trading futures involves a risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. And that'll do it for our midday program today. To hear the today's program in its entirety, you can go to krvn.com. Just check, click on the podcast. Brought to you by Devaney Motors. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Devaney Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.